Hickam's Dictum, a podcast about pretty much everything. Episode 4, Revenge is a Dish Best Served Cold Fusion. Okay, hello and welcome to Hickam's Dictum. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Amy. I'm Harris. And I'm Layla. Today we've got a really interesting episode. Um, Today we're doing nuclear warning messages, uh, revenge fantasies in culture, and how to burst your bubble. (laughs) I thought Layla was about to sneeze. I was waiting for it. I thought she was about to yawn. Oh. No, I was yawning. Okay. (laughs) So, long time warning messages for nuclear waste. I sort of ended up on a rabbit hole that's kind of creepy and unnerving. So I thought it'd be really interesting to sort of try and delve in and really sort of come up with maybe our own ideas for nuclear warning messages. So basically, we've made lots of nuclear stuff, particularly nuclear power, and we created lots of nuclear waste, um, which is... It's creative power is there are some benefits in terms of energy and and that sort of thing but all this nuclear waste um basically can be dangerous and harmful to living organisms for like around ten thousand years some of the really dangerous stuff so not Um, long then not that long right don't worry leila you'll outrage it this is the problem so we thought of a bunch of ideas Sorry, carry on, Ben. Just a quick nap. Yeah, 10,000 years. Um, So we try and store nuclear waste safely. Um, At the moment, we're like... Like in the UK, for example, we're just storing it in big swimming pools that only leak every so often in a tiny amount. Um, But the end goal that most countries are coming up with is you get it all, you stick it in a big, thick concrete bunker and bury it deep underground. Um, but this stuff lasts 10,000 years. And in terms of length of time, 10,000 years ago from today, humans didn't even have written language that we know of. That's before recorded history. So no, if well, imagine... Just quickly, Ben. So yeah. humans are to have had some sort of language since like 185,000 years ago? There's no necessarily proof, but there were like wall scratchings, so it's yeah. not, not it's not like cohesive language, but I, it's some sort of expression on paper. Yeah, like we had, yeah, you had art, and I'm sure you had like vocal language, but you mm-hmm. didn't. It wasn't a fair it long must time been ago. For ages. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think ten thousand years ago, not well. You had cave paintings, but it wasn't until a bit after that that you had, you know, Egypt creating, you know, the sort of what what they consider recorded history. Okay. It's not, okay, then I agree. Yeah, it's not necessarily recorded history. That's why I said like that we really Western know Western version of like written stuff. Yeah. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. Ooh. It was a long time ago. I just Googled it. It says mm-hmm. the first humans emerged in Africa around 2 million years ago. Damn, oh, we're sorry, old. we're getting off top. I, I just didn't realise how long ago it was. Yeah. Huh. But 
so then but the issue is right 10,000 years ago we didn't have the languages back then are completely different to any languages you have now <laughs> right so how do you warn people that there's there's because there is a box deep underground how do you warn people that don't understand any existing language that's that there's nuclear waste there that would kill them I don't know. It's a good point, actually. Um, maybe pictures, but how would they be able to equate that picture to nuclear waste? Because this is going to be ten thousand years from now. Um, I actually have no idea. Um, well, lead is like a great deterrent for like a sort of radiation. It kind of blocks a lot of it. So if you were to put it into like a massive leaden box, it's a clear sign that if they do find it, they're not in complete danger. And it's a clear sign that there's some shit inside there that isn't natural and thus man-made. So they won't tell them what it is. It will warn them that, you know, this is something that lead can't penetrate. So it's not the best deterrent, but it is, you know, something as a warning. So I don't think a picture will last that long. Like, I'm not sure, maybe... A yeah. Like we can't really like a USB down there with video of how nuclear waste works, just so they're aware. Unless it has like an amazing battery. Like we have a computer down there with a 10,000 year battery. Sorry, forget that, I got distracted. Carry on. So, oh, go on. Uh, no, I mean, so are scientists looking at trying to basically deliver this message then is that what's happening so there have been a number of ideas there was like a committee in the u.s in like the 1980s that eventually kind of just gave up um that tried to come up with the uh nuclear warning messages right and they a bunch of people have come up with all kinds of structures and and things so there have been some the basic suggestions, right? You stick up a sign in a bunch of different languages and then just ask people to, when they come across this sign, to translate it if languages have changed, right? So that you just end up with a level of translation. The problem is, if climate change destroys humanity and we go back to sort of a, a primordial... Um, society that then gets built back up and we lose all of our culture and languages then we're screwed there's another idea of on the crazier side there's something called ray cats where they would genetically modify cats to change color near radiation so that that and then you create a mythology around the cats that you know, if cats glow, then it means there's something dangerous. So that, and then you like hand it down through generations <laughs> through nursery rhymes. So you people really like, like the cat my. idea. That's oh so my that's Ben's favorite. I kind one. of do Loki love this, but also mm. like I don't want cats to like get harmed. So on a more realistic um, approach, I'm looking at a site called whatisnuclear.com, which is like basically everything nuclear related from nuclear waste to nuclear power stations to how it works. And there's a thing called nuclear recycling, which kind of seems like the ideal approach. Like if these things are radiating nuclear energy and you know emitting all sorts, mm. can that not be like utilized? So what they can do in one case, they can... Um, yeah, they can treat the nuclear waste and then put it into another power station, a power plant that then uses it as energy, which is kind of cool and kind of makes more sense um, rather than having infinite waste 
that's going to just keep piling up that will take 10,000 years to like go down we can then utilize it um, but I think right now the technology for that isn't the best so hopefully marking out where it is and then 10 years down the line when we do understand it better and can utilize it better we can then dig them back up or wouldn't that hit, make more sense hear me out elaborate traps like Tomb Raider style so you have all your warning signs and you have all your spikes and everyone's like, oh this is like scary but you make it so that if people do go in, they have to go through a series of booby traps. Ooh. And honest, they'll most likely die that, on the way in. I would most in. likely want to do it. <laughs> yeah, so if people want to do it, then people like just yeah, die. So they're like, okay. You're people from dying by doing it. So why but if enough kill people them trying die to do it? trying to get to this thing, More they'll pe- be told people will take not to challenge. do it. Do you, not, do you not understand how but stupid humans are? But less and less are. people will do it throughout the years until you they realise, oh, this is terrifying. You know what, though? I could see Harris being like that person that's like right i'm gonna take this as my challenge it'll be yeah. basically tough mother for him wouldn't it yeah, that's true actually yeah like he's humans have a habit of just like going to the extremes yeah. for all sorts just for the sake of it like going to mount everest because they can say they can not because like you know it's easy because they say they can yeah so they'll do the same with this if there's that's a temple true. that they couldn't enter they're like oh i'll be the first one to fucking do it i'll be famous from this but it and would be really many fun. will die sure but I just think it'd be really fun making the traps, and then all they get at the end is just toxic waste that'll probably kill them. Are we Wouldn't it make more sense? Just Sorry. trying to create urban legends then, in order to get yeah. the messages sent, the message of the nuclear waste sent across. Is that yeah. the idea? That's that's one idea. Like yeah, like you don't people don't necessarily need to remember it's nuclear. They just need to remember not to go there. Okay, I've got but, something, and Layla, I think Layla was onto something, actually, and I hate to say this, but I think Layla was onto the right idea. <laughs> you hate to so, say this. <laughs> imagine, in the same scenario that Layla put out, instead of the booby traps, you had less radioactive substances to line the path that wasn't harmful but was detectable, and thus they'll know the further down they go, the more radioactive it gets. So they have but, like an early warning signal where they're safe pe- before it gets dangerous. But how would they know that what radiation is? Because the only uh, reason I- we know about it is because of someone discovered it but yeah but radiation is everywhere like the radiation from the sun itself that that that's the people wouldn't that know it was of. but if people I'm probably don't... saying 10,000 years I'm, I'm optimist enough to believe that 10,000 years line if human civilization existed they would be a little more advanced i hope hopefully but if they're not how would people know what nuclear waste is and how would they know to be wary of it if they've if it doesn't exist to them if it hasn't been discovered yet or rediscovered yet you know, but radiation is not, it wouldn't have to be nuclear waste, it can just be radiation Wait. liners. So they experience the radiation first before, like, a, a less toxic and more. Like an unpleasant sensation. Something that makes them so sick and nauseous that they just can't carry on because they just vomit their guts up. Yeah. So. That's not actually. Fa- or, yeah, maybe. I feel like. I feel like from Layla's perspective, well, I don't know, maybe correct me, Layla, but are you expecting, like, almost like a restart of a planet like just entire civilization dying no trace of art no trace of culture is that mm, i'm imagining kind of like like the worst four thousand five thousand years ago like we don't really actually what am i imagining because, because the thing like is in the you'd last... still have hmm? you'd still have like the internet maybe i'm being optimistic you'd still have some sort of digital access whether that's still on earth or elsewhere it well, still would the, exist the thing is human development mm-hmm. has like you know it's exponential growth like 
considering the Stone Age to the Bronze Age, it's like a massive jump from one to another. And the last hundred years, we've made so many innovations, it's unbelievable sometimes. So wouldn't you think that it would only go higher or faster? Or do you think there's going to be something that is going to tip us off and we're going to go backwards in time to the point where we're using stones again and thus incapable of understanding what radiation is? Well, these sort of things are designed both for, like, what people are trying to think about is, yes, we could we could just remember all of it and have a huge library or whatever, or it could get forgotten to history, right? The location of nuclear waste could be forgotten to history, society could break down, humans could leave the Earth for whatever reason, and aliens come who are, don't have Geiger counters on them. Or, or you know like aliens space is no full of radiation they should have that that's <laughs> like true. we're safe we've got an ozone layer but space if there you're are trying, space sev- like just... traveling civilizations yeah. they will have Geiger counters which I probably pronounced wrong but because mm. in the animal kingdom if you're something's dangerous it's bright red um, or it has just like really strange markings so it's like don't eat me because I'll kill you and some animals that aren't poisonous but have those markings, um, yeah, that means that everyone knows it's dangerous. Like, lava's bright orange. So I think maybe just go back to basics and be like, what looks toxic? Like, you wouldn't eat a bright orange flower because you probably think it's going to kill me. So just make it look um, toxic in the most basic way possible. Like animals do. Well, if you just yeah, scatter can... human bones everywhere, like near the entrance, would that just make it more one, like, appetizing? That would also be really cool, though. <laughs> okay, so my section this week is revenge, like the revenge fantasy and revenge in pop culture. Because for some reason, it's constantly popular. And everyone, I feel like, can somewhat relate to these kinds of stories. Yeah, so what do you guys think of revenge? Like, what's your favourite revenge story? I wouldn't say I have a favourite, but the most popular one that comes to mind is Kill Bill. Um, That's doing incredible, like, even now to this day, has, like, a whole cult following. Mm -hmm. People love it. It's well written. And, yeah, its main premise is revenge. Yeah, I think, to add to Harris's point, anything by Tarantino, but... Um, yeah, for me, Inglourious Bastards is my favourite, but we can go into that in more depth. But I think for me, my first introduction to revenge fantasy was probably from Greek mythology, and that's probably what I'm like really into. Like as a kid, that was something I was really into because it was like, oh, all these gods like doing really crazy things for revenge. So petty. It was so, so petty. petty, but I loved it. And I think that's the thing about revenge is all these characters are flawed and you see their journey, but you see mm-hmm. either their growth from that or how they still fall into that pettiness. And they do yeah, there's just something again really again. satisfying about that. Or maybe unsatisfying, depending on how you, how you uh, feel. When the character's about... like written so well that you hate them, seeing them, you know get the yeah. comeuppance is satisfying and that is yeah. what revenge is isn't it yeah, yeah it is it's like it's oh it's interesting that you mentioned but actually quickly ben what's your favorite revenge thing i don't i don't that's know fine. okay you don't know i don't that's know fine. 
So are we limited to, to movies. In we are. We are going to find out what Ben's favorite revenge. Oh no! But is. you know, it takes half an hour for him to decide on things. He won't even yeah, tell us yeah. his favorite color. And black doesn't count. True. So you mentioned the like a feeling of release or satisfaction. So I think that revenge fantasies are quite cathartic, and that loosely tra um loosely translates loosely is defined as the process of releasing strong emotions through a particular activity or experience, such as writing or theatre, in a way that helps you understand those emotions. So often people, I think these are probably such popular narratives, even from like Amy said, like Greek mythology, because you can always relate to them and they always make you feel like better about the world around you and that there's a place for everything and it's not just random things happening or people being awful to you. And that's just what you have to live with. It's like, there's a bigger process that you can then take part in. So, Carol, Is it that hmm? people sort of, to me it feels like, because uh, people sort of feel helpless in a society that you can try as hard as you like and, you know, things may still end up awful, right? And people feel a lack of control where in revenge fantasies, if something bad happens to you, or a character, then they they do take control and get revenge for whatever happens to them and, and taken some control of, of, of that situation, which perhaps people feel like they're missing. Yeah, I think that's actually interesting to say that because when I initially typed in revenge fantasy, it came up with a bunch of like psychological stuff, like PTSD, etc. And the reason people feel emotions like revenge is because they can't control the world around them, but they can control what they perceive as an ideal reality. But um, so yeah, so it's probably not the most healthiest of human fantasies, but it's incredibly enduring for people, like everyone's. I mean, I guess one of the biggest author of all time is frickin' Shakespeare. And a lot of his stuff is yeah. revenge fantasy, right? Um, I mean, Macbeth is like one of my favourites. But carry on quickly. <laughs> oh, I actually don't know enough about Hamlet. Mm. Well, besides That's interesting King. because I feel like Macbeth, Macbeth is, a, is a better revenge fantasy. Well, no, story of revenge, but Hamlet's the one everyone remembers. But in Macbeth, the woman just—it's. I don't think it's that she's wronged. I think it's that she thinks her husband's weak, and needs to like get the life that she thinks she deserves. Whereas in Hamlet, um, his father was killed by his uncle. Spoilers. So he's like, "This is unjust. Like my dad wasn't meant to die. Blah blah. I'm gonna." Avenge his honor, but but is it a fantasy? Still kind of revenge. Is it a fan? At the end of it, do you feel good? Do you feel good for Hamlet at the end of that? Yeah, like that's not really a fantasy. Or? That is a revenge that's topic, a but it's not fantasizing so revenge. Is revenge fantasy where you're supposed to feel good about it at the end? Well, that's the whole point of a fantasy, though, isn't it? I thought fantasy oh, a tragedy. was more like. Revenge, mm. okay. fantasy would be Lord Maybe of the Rings with a happy ending, whereas, um, sorry, yeah. Well, so is Breaking Bad like revenge fantasy? 
I don't think it was supposed to be. I think certain men decided it was. Because I really can't stand Walter White. I'm I not really sure can't. how the what was he taking That's revenge so on? Well, society, I guess Harris. Society, like he he was. I mean, at the start of the series. So ridiculous. I mean, Fight Club is more of a revenge fantasy against society, then, isn't it? Like, it's a great what revenge. Is? Fight Club, a great revenge fantasy against society itself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fight Club is definitely. But I wouldn't a say Breaking fantasy. Bad is a revenge in yeah. any way. That's more like um, delusion taking hold of no. someone. But I think from Walter White's but I think, perspective, mm-hmm. I don't know. But he did get like... screwed over by life itself, like constantly. So it was I do see what you're putting. He was getting revenge in that sense, but he didn't have a happy I mean, ending in the end. Actually, he kind of did. He did die with the things he loved. <laughs> what, um, um, warning, um, warning, warning shot? What, what's it call it? Trigger, what, trigger warning? No. Spoiler warning. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That was it. Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler warning. But I think mentioning TV, I find that revenge in literature is quite different to revenge in. Uh, movies, for example, with literature, we get to see a lot more of the plotting and inside the character's head and what they're thinking or how they're feeling. Whereas with movies, it's very action-based, very reactive as to like what's going on. Um, I'll just quickly go into movies now because I did find quite a few of them. But one of the things I found interesting was with a lot of the mod, more modern revenge fantasies from like the last 20, 30 odd years, a lot of them heavily feature women and their version of revenge. Whereas from like the 60s, etc. or like earlier, it's a very like male-centric version of um, something's been done badly to him and he wants revenge. Like, I mean, I guess Ocean's Eleven is a more modern example, but people seem fa- fascinated by, for example, I like say Kill Bill or Gone Girl, where it's like a woman who's been wronged and she wants to get revenge because society's been unfair to her and she's clever enough or smart enough uh, or good uh, good enough people behind her to achieve that but she always has to be extraordinary to achieve this kind of revenge i've got a question uh, this is like directed at all three of you um regarding kill bill and the revenge fantasy of it if she didn't so let's say she got wrong straight away and then straight after she got wronged and straight after she crawls out of her own grave which is a massive spoiler warning but i said that already so it's fine um, and she kills the, um, the people who wronged her. Do you think that would be enjoyable? Or do you think it was enjoyable mm. for her seeing the training as well as getting the revenge? So showing her crawling out of the mud and then working her ass off to the point where she can physically get revenge was the whole enjoyable part. Like, if you cut off the middleman, would you still enjoy the whole movie? I mean, like, if you cut off her training, would you enjoy it still? It's been such a while since I've watched the mm. two parts. But I remember just enjoying part one, to be honest. And I don't think they really showed the training in part one. Or did they? I cannot remember one from the other. I remember them as one movie. <laughs> oh, dang. Because I thought it was it's just like so out long of ago. order, wasn't it? The film. Oh, no. Was it out no, of you're order? out of order. The reason that's so popular is just because it's such an... She suffers quite a lot. So the more we see her suffer, the more the viewer relates to her, the more the viewer wants to think like, oh, that can't happen. She has to get revenge because otherwise what's the point in this whole movie? Yeah. Mm. So the viewer has to have that sense of like release or catharsis because otherwise they're going to have had all this like build up for nothing. And a lot of the time in reality, you do have, you can have all the build up in the world and nothing can happen still or something can still go wrong or everything's a mistake. 
but we get to see the idealized version on TVs and in literature. But, yeah. But having said that, I still think of Glorious Bastards is probably the better. That's also on my list. Fantasy. Is it? Because I went, I looked into um, top movies. So I actually looked into a Vogue's top 18 list of movies to recommend. And a lot of them were stuff like Gone Girl, Kill Bill, Promising Young Woman, Legally Blonde, all like really good women-centric movies. And then if you look into other ones, <laughs> it's a lot more male-centric. And I thought that was interesting. But I think Glorious Bastards is good because it's a mix of these women have been screwed over and these men have been screwed over. And there's nothing more satisfying than punching Nazis. I know, I'd like my revenge fantasy to be historically accurate. Really? No. Oh. <laughs> I feel like we kind of missed out on Taken. I've not actually seen John Taken. Because um, I feel Wait, like did... those are... I feel like those two are... Like... They're too obvious. They're too obvious. <laughs> yeah, but they're really like stereotypical like male revenge fantasies. They're sometimes like called dad films because they're like middle-aged men who... Uh, who are then become superheroes and dads in their midlife crisis. <gasps> you know what's a so. good revenge fantasy? Oh no, I just wanted to quickly say Mad Max Fury Road is a great revenge fantasy. Oh. <laughs> that was yeah. also on the list of things I looked at. And so was Legally Blonde, because Legally Blonde is now 20 years old. Oh yeah, Legally old, Blonde is a great and it's revenge still an fantasy. amazing film. Oh it God, is such a good film. And she wears Why pink. Why is Mean Girls not included? Mean Girls is a revenge fantasy. That is a revenge fantasy. It is. Oh, is what I mean, there's a revenge fantasy. When we think of revenge fantasy, like you jump onto like murder and killing and actual yeah. deaths. But like some of the teenage stuff was so good. And I think Better. I like Legally <laughs> Blonde. Yes, that's good. Because you know the more I watch it, or like watch it you... as I get older, like she wears pink and she's in a male heavy world and she still kills it. You guys I'm gonna just hate me. like, but be, be High School hurt, Musical yeah. is a revenge fantasy. Bullshit. How? High School How? Musical is terrible. He's How fighting the I... stigma that he has to like be sporting and everything else, and he can't like sing for like, <laughs> with his life and whatnot. <gasps> oh and that's God. him taking revenge on society by doing what he wants in the end and singing rather than playing ball. Oh <laughs> that is revenge yeah. on Zac society. Zac singing is that. revenge on society, <laughs> Harris. <laughs> Oh my god, that is so true. Those three movies are revenge on society. <laughs> Do you think... And on that note, we should move on. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> cool, so moving on to my topic. Um, um, what was my topic again? How to burst your bubble? How to burst your bubble. So basically, um, a filter bubble refers to a state of like isolation that's kind of like a result of your personalized searches and your internet activities. Yeah. So the main result from this is the user being isolated from information that disagrees with their own, effectively separating them into their own like um, like ideological bubble. Uh, so from website's point of view, this is kind of like perfect. Like you're presented with exactly what you want and exactly how you want it. So in the example of a anti-vaxxer, for example, um, if they keep following the same sites and the pages and posts and they interact with the community by simply commenting on a post or even just anything of the sort, the algorithm sees that and shows them the same ideology back at them. It suggests them friends that match what they want. It puts them into communities that surround themselves in a way that enhances that ideology. 
like from sites and social media's point of view, it allows them, it, it sends you posts that you would want to see. Um, like you can see how this can be damaging, obviously. Like the obvious clear negative side effect is that the users are separated from a point of view that goes against their own. Um, mm -hmm. So all news posts, updates, and what's going on around the world will only be like tailored and made to suit what their mindset is. So if they care more about anti-vaxxers, there'll be loads of news of vaccination failures and side effects and everything else. Um, so now what's really cool is this researcher, these a team of researchers in Finland and Denmark, they developed this new alternative algorithm, which kind of diversifies the exposure a user will get. Um, so it does this like through like a Venn diagram sort of way where it takes what they like, it takes what they don't like, and it finds ways to link up the two. So it brings it together. It forces them to deal with things that they are not comfortable with. Not always and not heavily so they don't feel uncomfortable and they stay away from it completely, but enough to broaden their viewpoints of the whole thing. Now, one of the um, team members called Marakus, who um, said, and I quote, people might develop a distorted view of reality, which may also pave the way for rapid spread of fake news and rumors. And this is what I fear that like these filter bubbles are causing on society, because it's not just on websites and social media, it's also in real life. Like the friends you keep around you will be a reflection of yourself. They will promote your um, a mindset, they will um, you know, support your viewpoints and you'll be so excluded from what could be like an alternative path, a better solution purely because the people you have around you are just promoting themselves and yourself and your own mindset. So um, if you want to learn more about the algorithm, the study, the study is called um, Maximizing the Diversity of Exposure in Social Network. Um, so I just have a quick question for you guys. Um, have you heard of the like the filter bubbles and what do you think is your biggest concern? Um, so I watched a documentary on Netflix called Social Dilemma and I think that focuses more on Facebook and other social media and its algorithm and how it is now and it's just it's absolutely awful because yeah we are getting this um, um, this kind of um, bubble of news which is just directed to what we like or what we feel comfortable reading or listening about and that's not okay we definitely need to be need to have more exposure to all kinds of um, viewpoints discussions opinions um, to to sort of um, to engage in other aspects of oh, I don't know I'm like now just rambling but it's it's just not it's not okay to just surround yourself with what you're comfortable with because unfortunately that's not a good representation of of the real world so um the there's like this um incident that really brought this all to my attention like a couple of years ago called how um filter bubbles are destroying democracy um so ben being you're like the we're gonna make that clear you're the most political out of all of us um do you think if people are stuck in their social bubbles they're going to be more political point of view is going to be stuck with that bubble too and thus they're going to be limited to vote for tory or or um labor or liberal democrats because that's what their surrounding is yeah i mean 
It's interesting. Like, I think there's a lot more focus on filter bubbles or echo chambers because of social media. Like, you do have algorithms enforcing existing echo chambers. But, like, I think it the problem goes back further. Like, mm. if you take a map of, of Britain or the US or whatever, you can see, like, depending on where you live, you can... Or depending on how much money you make or what business you work in, like, you will... You, you can predict, probably predict how someone's going to vote, right? Like, before Facebook, it was the village pub or whatever. <laughs> or, or, you know, the bar around the corner or something. Like, I think it's... I think it's something quite human. Um, and I think, rather than it necessarily being a new phenomenon, I think it's uh, something that's... Um, been exacerbated by social media like I think social media has made existing issues worse mm -hmm. but yeah I mean I think I think it's made it worse but exponentially personally um, because because now a lot of news that are fake news are actually being treated as real news like people are actually using social media to yeah, get their information, and that's not always the best way of going about things. I, People don't really check the sources. I just want to bring um, up, I, I want to say the opposite. I think social media helped more because um, you have more access to alternative viewpoints thanks to social media. Like without it, you'll be stuck with your local news sources and your local society or group that you're with. You'll be stuck with what they view with, and you'll be having the same mindset as them. Okay, with the social media so, allowed to like go even further. Uh, I'm I just agree. I'm just trying to take the devil's yeah, advocate yeah, here. Yeah. I'm not actually believe oh, that. No, I'm just no, trying no. to provide that as a viewpoint. Yeah, no. So I think the internet as a whole has definitely helped provide lots of alternative viewpoints. But I think with places like Instagram and Facebook, that that makes it a lot more um, echo chambery in the fact that you then just get news suited to you to you know your viewpoints. I think um, I've definitely... Okay, I'm sorry. No, go on. I've definitely noticed that more so with Facebook, because with Instagram it's very visual and you get to choose who you follow. However, the targeted ads are worse on Instagram than on Facebook, I found. But with Facebook it's often very repetitive and what you get shown is very specific to what they think, what they think you're going to like, not what you've actually selected that you like. Um, so I think Instagram's more heavily moderated to sell you things. So I think, yeah, on your point, Instagram is more market-based in my opinion. It does yeah. advertise more on things you can buy, whilst Facebook is more marketized on things you should believe and um, mm. stupid facts and whatnot. Um, but I do want to mention one thing regarding an echo chamber and a filter bubble. So there's a lot of debates about the difference um, and the clear, agreeable community difference is an echo chamber being from the same sites that you go to having the same feedback back and forth again and again whereas a filter is having new sources that follow your ideology being filtered into you so it's not the same things going back and forth oh, so the same friends it's new friends but with the same ideology um, i didn't I know that clarify that um, no that's that's really interesting so um, it's like reading the guardian versus reading the sun yeah 
Um, so, okay, one more question. Um, sorry, not one more question. I've got a few more of this, okay? Um, do you feel like you're aware of your filter bubble online as well as offline? Like, as in with your friends out in public or the things you do in public? Mm. Oh, sorry, what do you mean by aware? As in, do you think you notice that when your friends are together and you're having a t topic of morals, you all have the same viewpoint? Or if you have a topic of yeah, policies and political correctness, you have the same viewpoint? Do you feel like you're all almost having, um, you're just agreeing with each other rather than actually debating and arguing and discussing? Uh, I mean, I, I know like when I'm, for example, right, like I, I think I, I'm aware of like the, the filter bubble, you know, I've created for myself perhaps, right? Like I don't use Facebook as much. I use a lot more of Twitter and Tumblr where you're not where there's less random stuff being given to you and it's who you select to follow right so i'm following people who i'm interested with um and i know that there are people i wouldn't follow because i disagree with with their their worldview right like if if there's i mean i i think one thing we need to be clear about is there's a difference between trying to open yourself up to different viewpoints and going around and like you know open yourself up to to racist or homophobic yeah, or transphobic oh, stuff like mm. we i i think i think we agree you know it's not like oh you should make sure you follow at least 10 racists on your social <laughs> oh, media to I make meant. sure you're getting a good balance like, oh, um, so um, but, yeah but um having said that um so obviously we're from the uk um i i do find that um when we talk about the tories we are often like oh tories they're racist when in reality there are tories that probably wouldn't you know identify themselves as being racist um and so how yeah i don't know like so, how, how do you have that sort of conversation and i have a friend who is a tory yes. um he's also black himself he's um caribbean descendant um he mainly votes for the Tory party and conservative because he was brought up like you know poor and he like stumbled along along a lot of wealth he's now a lawyer for um, massive um, corporate organizations and thus getting the big bucks so he openly admits that he does vote Tories purely to save his own interests and for a selfish reason um he's not a racist himself he's not um discriminative he doesn't like you know show any of those signs we're still friendly we still do all sorts of other activities i also have friends who are in the UK party who are actually i can't say any more than that because then you'll know who they are um i also have friends Which who voted for brexit um who like voted for brexit and whatnot like though i don't approve of certain actions they do their full ideology is explained to me in like in ways that you know isn't discriminative isn't insulting they'll just either um have that mindset from the way they grow up or they honestly believe that they were doing the right thing, uh, in which case it's not really a reason to not be friends with them. And I'm still friends with them and I still visit them every now and then. But I keep, I like to keep friends like that around, but I've only recently started mm. doing that over the last couple of years. Like I was trying to be more aware recently um, due to it being like alerted to me that my circle is very me and I, I need to experience what the rest of the world really is. Mm. And I, I think, to me, I, I'm not sure looking to Facebook to try and solve the issue 
is is like I think we need to put like there certainly needs to be like pressure on trying to reduce the use of use of algorithms that no one knows what really what they do. But I think to me like the real solution is those real life interactions. I to me I think I probably learn much more about other people's viewpoints, say going down to the pub or something and have a chat. Yeah. Rather than talking to someone on Messenger or seeing someone's posts on Facebook. But you say that, Ben, but then you we also have the younger generation who have grown up with social media and so hmm. to them this is normalised having a filter bubble. So yeah. I wonder what the impact of that is going to be like for them. So the research I did, I think COVID, that's the best yeah. alternative solution we can provide because social media is not going to go anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, things like Facebook and Instagram are going to be just more popular in the future than they are now um, with social influencers being Probably like not a whole actual career path. <laughs> you know, with influence being an actual career path now, it's only yeah. going to get more popular and it's only going to be more like well-known and followed by other people. So improving the algorithm to make it less um, yeah. isolating is the correct path to go. Um, considering that we're low on time, I'm going to go over a few topics, a few um, oh. points on how to beat the system and burst your bubble. Uh, so these are the... Okay. Sorry, Ben, carry on. I, okay, I was going to make a counterpoint to everything we said and try and burst our echo chamber bubble here. Carry on, yeah. Is is there an argument that for some groups or some people, like having... For example, if you're gay growing up in Hungary, do you really, like... Is the... What's the is the fact that you create is the fact like if if is the fact that you can create an escape for yourself from hurt in real life a good um like a way out and actually helpful for people like i think there are certain scenarios where for certain people the internet is a way to you know to 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 have a safe space to themselves that they don't need to share with people who you know perhaps don't like them i don't know yeah I no think um, with... i think you're right yeah, people I do take it to an extreme like... though with like incel intel mm. diseases whatnot yeah i was gonna say i think with stuff like tumblr i think that's quite different from facebook like we can't compare the two tumblr you're actively choosing who to follow i think it's completely fine to create a safe space for yourself on that particular platform but I think I mean obviously I'm not saying how people should use but personally I feel like with Facebook since it's more you're more likely to connect with people you know in real life it and I, I think my biggest issue is kind of the algorithm of Facebook especially with adverts and and I don't know like I think just Actively I think choosing only to socialize with people of it similar depends a bit problematic, but... on your situation because if you're a vulnerable individual or if you're a member of society that no one that everyone deems um to di or like everyone dislikes sample like it's gay it's illegal to be LGBT plus in Poland at the moment I wouldn't uh, expect them to go out and burst their bubble and try and interact with the people if it doesn't keep them safe. Mm -hmm. If interacting with people of a different view affects your safety, don't do it. And that's I think, has the same principle to online that 
if following these people to try and expand your worldview ends up triggering you or hurting you, it's not worth the hassle. So, so are I you think being more careful it depends. Who you follow, rather than just follow anyone. I just think a person you? should try and feel as safe as possible in their own um, uh, personal space online and in person. Uh -huh. So to be like, oh, I want to go burst my bubble. That's great and all. That's a very specific and very privileged attitude to have towards the society around you, because you know you can't get terribly hurt from trying to burst your bubble, whereas some people might be. Yeah, I think ultimately people should just prioritise their mental health, and if their mental health allows them to do so, then hopefully they can be open to other viewpoints. But obviously, yeah, I'm speaking from a very privileged perspective. So, um, one other thing um, I want to go on about is the ways to um, diversify your bubble um, and break the whole system of the filtered bubble situation. So, one of the ones is beat the algorithm. Um, this includes following um, accounts and pages that you don't completely agree with, but you want to understand more of. This doesn't mean going for hate groups and following KKK members. This means following... Um, more right-wing heavy or left-wing heavy um, ideologies than you're used to just to understand what they're like um, this could also be like certain friends that you don't fully agree with but you do can understand that they express themselves properly to the point we can understand where they're coming from if you can't agree with them you can still understand them which also helps with your diversity and your understanding of what's outside you Another um, um, of good one is called widening your source. So this doesn't mean going against what you believe in. It just means going for more sources that um, promote it, or not promote it, but um, provide a wider range of outputs. So it's, instead of just sticking with the Sun News, which is like a very far right UK um, um, outlet, go for Huffington Post, go for Waterfronts, go for all like loads of others to get a wide selection of choices as well as an idea of what's going on. Um, another alternative, which is like the final kind of alternative, is just going offline, um, doing it in person, like Ben suggested, going to a rally, go to a talk, go to anything of the talk, um, any of the site, any of the um, options that you have available for you. If it's safe for you to do that. Yes, of course, within um, safe reasons, with that, yeah. Oh, but just quickly, can I do a shout out to the Count of Monte Cristo as like a mini thing at the end? What? When? What? Now? Oh. Let us go and record the entirety of the Count of Monte Cristo. Damn right. Okay. Okay. Be Forty-five. Or can bonus we make sure it's fifteen minutes, please? <laughs> Layla reads the Count of Monte Cristo, and then we speed it up to fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. Then it's one thousand twelve hundred pages. That's not happening. I have it next no. to my bed, Layla. Oh, Every have you ever read it yet? Yeah. Double up. I haven't. Have I you read it yet? Sorry. Have you read you it can yet? Do a bedtime story oh. with CBBS, Layla. <laughs>